Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Serial Killers Cafe. I'm your host Stephanie, here with my co-host Ariel. Hello friends. And happy Friday. Thanks for being patient while we get used to our new time and all that fun stuff and, you know, try and live through the quarantine life like the rest of y'all. Um, so a few announcements. We are doing our final child um, killer today. Uh, we were super excited about it, but it just seems like there's not a lot of information, mainly because they're children and get caught after the first time. And then um, what I would be intrigued to look into, which we'll probably do for down the line, is see if any of these children have gotten released and then become right, like adult killers. So cool. um, but I mean, obviously, cool. <laughs> right. Um, but obviously with quarantine life, you know, we are just surviving like everyone else. So we appreciate you hanging in there with us. Um, and yeah. we also just want to make one other note. Um, and I'll let Ariel take this one away. Oh, yes. Okay. So my lovely, lovely people, uh, we received a comment um, about the podcast that um, has stuck with me. And I kind of just wanted to address it um, because it was a little heartbreaking to think that anyone uh, would look at our podcast or us in this way. Now, it was only one person. I know not everyone's going to like our podcast. That's totally fine. But this person basically stated that she couldn't even get through the episodes because of the fact that we were mocking and laughing um, at victims and crimes and serial killers and all that stuff. I really want to stress that um, Stephanie and I take this very seriously. Um, our interest in serial killers and murder and all that, you know, interesting stuff uh, has nothing to do with jokes or being funny. Um, I just don't want anyone to ever feel that way. Um, so know that while we do try to make this as lighthearted as possible, um, we are still taking it very seriously. Um, and the main reason that we do this is to bring attention to the fact that these people are out there. Um, and that it's a, it's a serious, serious problem. So I just wanted to make sure that no one actually thinks that we think that this is a joke or funny in any way, shape or form. Um, we basically, the reason that we like to laugh and joke back and forth and, you know, make fun of some of these serial killers is to just get through it. I mean, if we just sat here for a half hour gave you all these gory details and then we're like all right peace have a good day uh i think that really would be super fun and it would be kind of depressing so i just wanted to get that out there and make sure that nobody uh, and none of our regular listeners or even people who are new to the podcast feel like that's what like we're making fun of or laughing at any of this because we are 100 percent not yeah um i couldn't have said that better myself honestly a lot of times guys we're just laughing at each other um yeah. we just you know our personality mine way more so than probably anyone you'll ever meet is very comical positive like you know glass half full kind of person um but like ariel said like we're bringing to light these people you know are your friendly next door neighbor they're people that you could pass like they're people like these are little kids that we're talking about that are literally already have ruined their whole lives because they're murderers. Like, we understand that's not a joke. It's not, you know, so we just wanted to make sure that, not that we think a bunch of you are like, oh, these are terrible people, but we just wanted to put it out there that, you know, that we definitely take what we're doing seriously. And the reason we started the podcast was definitely to bring awareness to all these different serial killers. Um, sure, we do find them interesting, but in no way do we find what they've done to be, like, hilarious. So, yeah. 
that's that um you know public disclaimer for the day thanks for listening guys um right so let's dive in okay so before we get started today i am drinking an iced mocha cappuccino from the local honeydew near my house and it is delicious my husband actually got me addicted to them and i really hate him for it because i yelled at him for spending too much money on them and then i started buying them because they were really good so thank you for that weirdo and fancy and every time she has to like one up me with my drink I'm drinking a regular iced coffee like, you know, a normal human being. I just don't drink coffee. <laughs> like, I'm very, very rarely do I drink coffee, and I usually only drink hot. Is so it a mocha cappuccino coffee? It's different. It, t- it tastes different, though. It doesn't taste like coffee. It tastes like hot, iced hot chocolate. Ah, uh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. I, and you know me, I drink, like, black, lukewarm coffee yeah, right. when I drink it, so. <laughs> right. You're a weirdo. Yes. Anyways. Facts. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Daniel Bartlam. Yeah. So start off. You want to start off? Yeah, sure. I'll start. Okay. So just to give you a quick old background of our good friend Daniel here. Okay, guys. So Daniel Bartlam was tried and convicted of murdering his mother when he was only 14 years old. What's worse is that the murder was really thought out and planned. He actually spent years dreaming of killing his mom and planning out how he was going to do it. Uh, Daniel's parents got divorced when he was nine and he pretty much instantly started planning his revenge and murder of his mother from that moment on. So clearly, you know, obviously the divorce really took a toll on him that he thought he had to seek out some serious revenge and kill his mother. But it's one thing to say, oh, I'm upset. I'm going to kill someone. It's another thing to literally plot it out for five years and then kill them. The amount of like effort that this nine year old to 14 year old put into like a murder plan is insanely mind blowing to me. I know, so young. So young. I mean, I, I can't even get my love- kids to do math for like 10 minutes. And this guy is like, right. I'm going to plan a whole murder and then play the long game for five years before I carry it out. And I'm like, right. And actually go through with it. Yeah. Like a lot um, of people have planned murders that we're not saying that right. hasn't happened, but to actually then go through and carry it out after the fact especially after so long i kind of thought like maybe he would just keep the thoughts and they'd fizzle right which i think that that in itself says that there's definitely something uh psychological going on with him you know plenty of parents get divorced and plenty of kids are scarred and you know i'm lucky in the sense that i've never had to deal with that but i do know kids who have and it does really mess them up regardless of what age they are yeah, I mean, even but, even people who are adults and their parents end up splitting oh, up. Yeah, like it, it takes really, a toll on them. Yeah, it really sticks with them. Um, but they don't all go and kill their mom. <laughs> that is um, very true. <laughs> so the body of Jackie Bartlam, that's Daniel's mom, was found after a house fire in Nottingham, England. She was bludgeoned to death with a hammer. Ugh. That's another thing, guys. I mean, like this was a very personal. <laughs> personal angry killing um in some of the documentaries i watched um they had interviews with um jackie's boyfriend and he basically in no one's certain terms stated that as soon as he found out about the murder he suspected daniel um most of the people that were interviewed about this case um talked about daniel as being a troubled child like we said his parents divorced when he was nine years old um, and this kind of just sent Daniel into a tailspin of poor behavior. 
um, one big thing that I guess was a major, major issue for him personally is uh, he was moved from private school, which he loved, to a public school that he really struggled to fit in. Um, the whole time he was in public school, he begged his mom to send him back to his old school. But at this point, she's a single mom and just could not afford private school anymore. Um, he, on a number of occasions, was said to have stated that public school was below him. Um, he So this basically just started this like deep-seated resentment towards his mom. But one thing I would really like to stress is that this is genuinely the only trauma in his life. Like, you know, like a lot of these killers we talk about, whether they're kids or not, they were sexually abused, they were abandoned, they, whatever the issue is. Um, not that it makes it okay what they're doing, but you're kind of like, oh, all right, they had a really messed up life. I mean, this kid, his parents got divorced, but his mom was still there. I believe his father was also still a part of his life. Um, you know, he still had a house and food. Like, it's not like his entire life was affected by this divorce. Um, Mentally, so, yes. Physically, no. Right. He still had a roof over his head, so, food to eat. You know, he still got an education. Obviously, it wasn't the education he wanted, though. Um, I right. think it says a lot, too, by him when he said public school is beneath him, because obviously that means that he thinks that he deserved more and was owed more which is probably also why he had so much resentment and this one trauma like sent him because it seems almost like he had such a good life that this one thing where he thought he'd have this like perfect life forever sent him into such a tailspin that he became a murderer all because right. like his life had been so perfect up until then and there are definitely people who only nine though yeah, I mean, and, like, I just feel like there has to be something fundamentally wrong with him mentally in order for this to have that. I don't know. You guys tell me any of you guys have divorced parents. You send us a message. Let us know. Like, does is it really this like traumatizing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it depends, too. And I'm wondering if, like, maybe they got divorced, but they seemed happy, and that was a big factor. Because right, then he felt very, like, shocked. deceived and super shocked. I couldn't understand that being well, a thing. Versus, like, kids whose, like, parents maybe constantly fight, and they get divorced, and it's almost like, oh, thank God. Like, I know you don't like each other. It's yeah, fine, yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Right. But I'm right. sure, like I said, I'm we, we know divorce is hard on people i was raised by a single parent so i obviously didn't go through the whole divorce thing um and as ariel right. said her parents were still together so she didn't but we do know people we have friends mutual friends who have yeah. whose parents have gotten divorced but you know it's not it's one of those things too that like people don't usually want to talk about it because it doesn't make them happy so we generally aren't like so tell me your thoughts and feelings on the day your parents yeah, go right. we like, don't have a lot of information yeah so, so if you us. have any insight we'd love to hear it um but we're just kind of in mind blown merely because um this just escalated so fast and i think that's where we're we became so shocked about it because it was like oh okay so like you you thought about it and then you thought about it and then all of a sudden like you were like i'm gonna do it <laughs> we were like right okay so real violence <laughs> yeah it's kind of that definitely is crazy for sure so all right well so um dan when daniel got older he became interested in violent video games and we do see this a lot especially with the children we have researched 
And when his computer was searched, his browser history showed an obsession with murder and violence. And he actually began writing short stories. Many of them involved killing his mom. So again, a lot of people we can, like we have read about, have had these issues where they're just mad and they talk about it, but they generally don't follow through. And I think a lot of people just assumed he was troubled, but wasn't going to follow through because it had been so long. Sure. Like he waited five years. So most people aren't thinking like, oh, well, he's definitely gonna. But then again, it's also that, oh, well, he was a tribal kid. And it's like, okay, so did you raise any flags? Did you say anything to anyone? Mm -hmm. Did anyone see these constant stories of him wanting to kill his mom as like a major issue that should be further addressed? Or like, did everyone just think, oh, like he's a kid, he's spiraling, but like, we don't think he'd act on it. Right. And I think it's usually after the fact. When you put it all together. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh my god, yeah, Doug, of course he killed his mom, and it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, like, all right, then. <laughs> yeah, so the stories would be what ended up being used against him later in the trial, which is not shocking. And like Ariel said, uh, after his mom's murder, and he was inter, and the boyfriend was interviewed. He literally was like, oh, yeah, I had to get between Daniel and his mom because he, I thought Daniel was going to physically hurt his mom when they would fight. But again, this right. is another, like, see something, say something. Like, there's clearly a lot of signs here that, like, he is not a state, a mentally stable kid, even just with his mom. And what, and if it is just the divorce that triggered him, hey, like, sometimes it's just one thing and it sure. triggers you. But, like... It's. I wish they gave you more information on, like, did, were there reports? Like, I want, like, sealed records from his childhood about if he, like... Protective Stephanie over here. Yeah, like, what, did Child Protective Services intervene and they found nothing wrong and just saw him troubled? Or it's like, did everyone just not notice it? Was he really good at hiding it? But it seems like he wasn't because... I don't think he was. And so one part of uh, one of the interviews that really stuck with me is um, the interviewer straight out said to the boyfriend do you think this could have been prevented and he said absolutely i'm sure he carries a little bit of guilt because he was the one who was in the house and seeing all this but i mean think about it it's not even his kid he's just dating this woman and how's he going to be like hey so pretty sure your kid's a psychopath and is going to bludgeon you to death and set you on fire like you know there's no way to casually bring that up Right. Um, well, so, a lot I mean, of parents, moms especially, are always good at, you know, cutting their kids some slack and giving them the benefit of the doubt. So she could have said, he's just having a really hard time with the divorce. Like, they could have had this conversation. See, again, this is why I would be a terrible detective because I'd need, like, word-for-word word convos that anyone ever had to get, like, all the answers <laughs> I want. That's just not right. necessary. But, like, she could have said, oh, it's the divorce. He's taking it hard. Like, I know he doesn't mean it. It's He'll, he'll move on. And then... He killed Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so on Easter um, 2011, when Daniel was 14 years old, he used a claw hammer and bludgeoned his mother to death while she slept. He then set the house on fire. But before doing so, he um, essentially rescued his younger brother and the family dog, got them out of the house. So initially... Uh, he claimed that there was a mass burglar that came into the house and hurt his mom and set the house on fire. And he just like narrowly escaped and he was the hero. Um, so he really wanted people to think that he was the good guy here. Um, I mean, again, he's a young kid. 
thankfully he really didn't know how to get away with this. Um, because as soon as investigators, you know, they realized, okay, it's a murder and they started doing some research. And of course they were looking at family computers, including his, um, one of the main things that he searched was like literally how to get away with murder, um, and other related topics. So he like, wasn't super sly about this. Um, and within 48 hours, Daniel was actually arrested, um, and charged with murder. Yeah, so he did plead he not guilty. Yeah. <laughs> because... Which, uh, I don't know how he thought that was going to play out, but, uh, I mean, maybe he had a lawyer that told him to plead not guilty. I have no idea. Um, he was not, in fact, charged as an adult, though. They did um, charge him as a juvenile. So he ended up getting 16 years, um, but most of it is going to be served in a juvenile detention until he is an adult. I shouldn't say most of it because what? So he's, I think by the time everything was over, he was almost 16. So yeah. then he probably only has a couple of years in juvenile detention, right? I think at most till he's 21, sometimes they'll do. Yeah. And um, like they could have moved him, but then, you know, it's kind of crazy. And one of the big things I was thinking about, because I obviously have been keeping up with the news and, everything, you know, um, COVID-19 related and stuff like that and how they're letting prisoners out of jail. And mm. most people are doing non-obviously violent offenders like dr drug offenders or whatever. But there was, I think, a handful, and I can't remember it was, of people where they, like, let this guy out because they were like, oh, he's changed. And he was, like, a murderer. Oh, and he went and then killed he, like, killed someone. Yes. And I'm like, I feel like we could have seen this coming. That's just that a personal opinion. Come on. There's no way they were just like, oh, my God, yeah, he's totally fine. I'm not worried at all. And then, like, three days later. And, like, I understand nonviolent offenders. That makes perfect sense. Like, some people are in jail for 20 years because they, like, sold an ounce of pot. Like, that's yeah, right, that's exactly. a fact. And, like, and then there's collar crimes, embezzlement, and, like, totally, like you said, nonviolent stuff. But, like, if you're a murderer, I feel like you really shouldn't get a pass. Like, that's just, that's just my personal opinion on the situation. What? So... What? Yeah. So right now, I mean, so in 2011, Daniel was 14. So now he'd be 23. Yeah. So which is yeah, crazy because yeah. even if he so if he spent 16 years in jail between juvie and then regular prison, because mind you, he'd already be out of juvie. I highly doubt they're keeping a 23 year old in juvie. He would have been no, moved I to an adult facility by now. 21 longest yeah yeah he would have been moved to an adult facility by now and mind you that means he'd only have five more years which means he'd get out when he's 28 mm. that's still, still the majority of life yeah it's not like right exactly so i said it in the beginning because i thought oh that'd be interesting but now i'm like oh great <laughs> like this is going to be the kid we cover who gets out I know. <laughs> and kills someone else because i you yeah. know like a couple years from now we're going to be covering him again i also wonder what and this is probably this is definitely something Aaron and i will research and see if there's information out there um but definitely intrigued to find out like what the protocol is for letting out like like if you've done your time as a murderer and you get out like is there I mean, sure, you know, there's like, oh, yeah, you have, you know, you have checkups and whatever, like, we check yeah, in and make sure you're on parole, but, like, are there extra precautions because, like, I'm just, I doubt it, but 
I'd be, but this is in the UK, so I'm wondering if they do it different. Oh, that's true. They're usually better than we are. So, (laughs) um, we could, Aaron and I will definitely do research. I think um, one episode we'd like to do down the line is just how different justice systems work in different countries, because we definitely cover a lot of serial killers who do not live in the U.S., but even if we did it state by state, I mean, states have surprisingly very different justice systems and laws that they follow like what flies in rhode island definitely doesn't fly in california so um yeah so that's uh daniel um several psych doctors and psychologists interviewed him and after the fact they basically stated that he most likely suffered from a personality disorder of some sort And like Ariel stated, before he started the fire, or I'm assuming he basically like started it and then left and got like his brother and dog and walked out of the house before like it was bad enough for it to even get close to them. Right. Um, But we had talked about how that was almost like a hero complex where you like set the fire. And this honestly, he planned this for so long that I'm sure that's exactly what his plan was. Oh, well, how could I be a bad guy if I just saved my brother and the family dog from the fire that started? And we've seen a lot, too, um, killers that we will talk about down the line who do use fire to try and cover their crimes. So, I mean... It's interesting to say the least. Uh, There was one doctor, though, that actually quoted that was actually quoted saying that Daniel was most likely a sociopath, but he couldn't be officially diagnosed because he was actually too young. So that's like super scary. Happens a lot with young, right? Because that means the. I feel like one of the big things about getting a diagnosis is how the not just the world treats you but like what kind of resources you get to help you mentally and physically and so if you can't get the diagnosis merely because of age then you don't get treated for being a sociopath and i'd be curious now uh for like the test like i don't know what they have to do in order to declare someone a sociopath but um i'd be curious now as an adult like how what it says you know what i mean like is he actually um was this i don't want to say indiscretion but this one time was it just the one time deal it, it really was just based solely on his mom and like could he be like a normal person at some point like i'd, I'd be curious to see how that would yeah like out. if he were say he were to get out at 28 he knows he killed his mom he knows she's gone and that's who he held all his resentment to so would it be one of those things where he can move past it or would he then go find other women that looked like his mom, which we see a lot in serial killers, and then go after them because he needs to continually perpetuate that, you know, right, resentment right. he holds towards her because she's no longer there. So right. obviously we don't know. He's still um, currently serving time and we're not mind readers, so <laughs> we, yeah. we don't know. Um, but yeah, he was actually uh, pretty interesting, especially because he committed the crime and then tried to hide it with another crime. Um, so that is Daniel Bartlum. Um, like I said, he's our last child slash teen for now, um, just because there's not a ton of information. And so our episodes are usually super short when we do them. And we definitely have a few really good ones of adult serial killers that we have been researching that we're really excited to talk about um just because it's we try to focus on you know not the most popular serial killers because usually everyone knows about ted bundy and don't worry guys we're definitely gonna go all out for ted bundy is obsessed with ted bundy 
I just I want you to know that if we go back and listen to all of our episodes, I talk about seven <laughs> Every single episode she mentions him. <laughs> Literally every episode. I think it's just because it's hard not to know about him, so he's easy to reference. Like, he's easy to say, oh, well, Ted Bundy was super charming, so we know that's that is a thing. We know, like, serial killers don't look like a certain person, or serial killers don't do this. Like, it's just crazy to me because it's... He just fits a lot... He doesn't fit a lot of boxes that most serial killers you would think fit, and I think that's one of the reasons why I find him so fascinating. <laughs> But anyway, yes, that's, like I said, that is why my Ted Bundy fascination is so big. Because he doesn't check pretty much most boxes that a lot of the serial killers we discuss check. And so that is always very interesting to me. But anyway, that's it. Happy Friday. We hope everyone is doing well and staying in quarantine and staying healthy and staying home. And we are super excited to continue to bring you episodes. So please feel free to like us, rate us, send us uh, suggestions if you'd like. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys.